Vyvanse is excited to announce the launch of Zerviate, the first prescription drug approved by the FDA in 10 years for allergic conjunctivitis. Zerviate delivers the proven power of Zeterazine, a leading oral allergy medication now targeted to the eyes. Zerviate is indicated for the treatment of ocular itching associated with allergic conjunctivitis. The most common adverse reactions reported in clinical trials were ocular hyperemia, installation site pain, and reduced visual acuity. For full prescribing and safety information, please visit myzerviate.com. Hello, thanks for choosing to listen to the ModPod. It's May, but we are going to share with you three more articles from our April issue. One more on glaucoma, one on integrated care, and one on emergency eye care. It's a mixed bag of topics, but that's what makes it an interesting episode. We hope you agree. Let's start off with our glaucoma piece, read by Jacob Lang and Laura Capel, both of Associated Eye Care in Minnesota. Doctors Lang and Capel break down the management of glaucoma into three steps. Despite diagnostic advances and expanding treatment options, glaucoma continues to challenge eye care providers for many reasons. Adherence, early detection, and mysterious pathophysiology remain problematic. As optometrists assume larger and more important roles in the management of glaucoma, it is important that they stay up to date on the techniques and technologies for treating this sight-threatening disease. Microinvasive glaucoma surgery, also known as MIGS, is a recent addition that can offer improved safety and earlier surgical intervention in these disease process. In comparison with more invasive surgical procedures to decrease patients' dependence on medication. Pairing a MIGS procedure with cataract surgery makes sense because these pathologies often occur at a similar age and the combination reduces the number of times a patient must undergo surgery. Reimbursement considerations, however, complicate the situation. The FDA has approved four MIGS devices, the iStent Trabecular Micro Bypass Stent, the iStent Inject, and Hydrus Micro Stent, with labeling indicating that they are to be used in combination with cataract surgery in patients with mild to moderate glaucoma, and the Zen Gel Stent, which can be used in combination with cataract surgery or without cataract surgery, and is approved for use in patients with refractory glaucoma. In addition, the labeling of these devices states that patients must have been using ocular hypotensive medication. In most circumstances, therefore, a glaucoma suspect would not qualify for reimbursement for one of these MIGS procedures. Consequently, optometrists must think ahead strategically in order to prepare patients and document the justification for a MIGS procedure so as to streamline the surgical consultation. Following are three steps to consider for patients whom you think may be candidates for a MIGS procedure. Step one, categorize the disease. ICD-10 classification requires increased specificity regarding the type of glaucoma and its level of severity in comparison with the previous version ICD-9. 
The coding revision also increased specificity with regard to MIGS procedures and their indications, which has allowed payers to restrict reimbursement for specific glaucoma procedures and devices to certain types of glaucoma and levels of disease severity. Optometrists must be aware of the indications for each MIGS procedure in order to recommend treatment that is appropriate for each patient. Step two, initiate therapy. Current indications state that all patients undergoing a MIGS procedure must be using glaucoma medical therapy. For example, patients must be using at least one IOP lowering drop before receiving the eye stent trabecular micro bypass stent. In contrast, to undergo surgery with the Zen gel stent, patients must be on a maximum tolerated medical therapy. Unlike the eye stent, the Zen does not have to be in combination with cataract surgery. These requirements suggest that it, it may be prudent to initiate medical therapy sooner than has been common practice. Starting topical therapy when a patient is first diagnosed with glaucoma opens the door to a MIGS procedure if and when it is indicated. Step three, document treatment failure. Treatment failure can be used to justify a recommendation for MIGS. Examples include uncontrolled IOP, an intolerance of topical drops because of allergy and other barriers to medical therapy. Examples being poor compliance, ocular surface toxicity, and other side effects, financial burden. To quote the English politician Charles Buxton, in life, as in chess, forethought wins. Optometrists best serve their patients with glaucoma by thinking ahead to treatments they may require in the future. To maximize their options, eye care providers can consider the benefits and drawbacks of initiating topical medical therapy early in the course of the disease, document glaucoma severity and treatment failures, and include MIGS in discussions with patients regarding alternatives for glaucoma treatment, particularly if cataract surgery is warranted. Now we're going to move off the topic of glaucoma to collaborative care. In this next article, Andrew J. Mackner of Adena Eye Physicians and Surgeons in Adena, Minnesota, lays out the rationale for integrated eye care that he learned from a pioneer in collaborative care. In some ways, the relationship between optometry and ophthalmology is a tale as old as time. I would encourage you to listen to Celine Dion and Peebo Bryson's hit song, Tale as Old as Time, to set the stage for this piece. As time moves forward, there continues to be the newest incarnation of this relationship, in which optometry and ophthalmology must look past their differences in order to accomplish what's in the best interest of patient care. Before we discuss the current state of collaboration between optometry and ophthalmology, we have to take a brief step back to realize how we got to where we are today. First, it is important to remember that optometry is a legislative profession. There was a point in time when optometrists had to refer a patient to an ophthalmologist for dilation. It wasn't until 1971 that Rhode Island became the first state to allow optometrists to use diagnostic pharmaceutical agents. Fast forward to 2020, and thanks to the tireless efforts of volunteers in the American Optometric Association and affiliates, Contemporary optometry looks much different. States continue to modernize their scope of practice to reflect what is being taught and tested in optometry schools. The collaborative relationship between optometry and ophthalmology, too, looks much different today than it did 30 years ago. Historically, and occasionally still today, 
An optometrist would refer a patient for surgical or medical care, and often, through one mechanism or another, the ophthalmology practice would end up taking over the long-term clinical care of the patient. This one-way referral system led to frustration. In the early 1980s, however, a group of pioneers developed the concept of a two-way referral system, built upon mutual respect and structured in a way that ophthalmology would not compete with optometric practices providing primary eye care services. Thus, the co-management referral center was born. Since the inception of this concept, other models of co-management have developed, and the landscape of collaborative care has evolved into what we are familiar with today. So why is integrated eye care and why is collaboration so important? The American population is aging, and with that aging comes an increasing demand for optometrists to not only serve as primary eye care providers, but also to manage an increasing number of patients with complex eye diseases. By 2030, approximately 72 million Americans, one out of five, will be aged 65 years or older. The group aged 85 years and older is now the fastest growing segment of the population. As the population ages, the prevalence of cataracts, diabetic retinopathy, glaucoma, and low vision are all expected to increase. Although this means that there is an increasing demand for surgical intervention, the number of ophthalmologists is essentially fixed. There is also an increasing number of ophthalmologists retiring, and there is a trend towards more ophthalmology trainees completing additional fellowship training, meaning fewer are going into general ophthalmology. Conversely, the number of optometrists graduating each year has increased over time, and the number of optometrists completing postgraduate residency training has also increased. This shift requires practices to adopt a model that promotes efficiency, and integrated eye care models have attempted to do just that. Integrated eye care models are shaped around the concept of different doctors working together for the common good of the patient. There are currently four basic integrated eye care models. Optometrists who work in private practice and actively co-manage patients. Optometrists who partner with, employ, or lease space with ophthalmologists. Optometrists who practice in a vertically integrated setting and optometrists who work directly with ophthalmologists in a referral center. In each of these models, optometrists and ophthalmologists collaborate during various stages of patient care to best serve the needs of the patient. I recently had the opportunity to discuss this topic with Dr. Christopher J. Quinn, founder of Omni Eye Services of New Jersey and New York, the New Jersey Center for Cornea and Refractive Surgery, and Essex Specialized Surgical Institute, where he serves as president. Dr. Quinn has been president of the American Optometric Association, and the New Jersey Society of Optometric Physicians. He is on medical staff at Robert Wood Johnson University Hospital and has spent the past 30 years fostering a collaborative and respectful relationship between optometry and ophthalmology with an unwavering commitment to high quality patient care. Dr. Quinn was unavailable to do this podcast together, so I will be reading the questions and also reading Dr. Quinn's answers. First question, how can optometrists foster a healthy collaborative relationship with ophthalmology? Dr. Quinn's answer, a healthy interprofessional relationship can be based only on mutual respect. Finding a surgeon who is not only a quality provider, but who also understands and respects you as an optometrist may not always be easy. You can foster this type of relationship with open and honest communication when sharing in the care of your patients. If the respect and quality of care is not there, move on to another provider who can meet your needs and the needs of your patients. Our second question. How has the co-management model evolved, and in what ways does it improve patient care? Dr. Quinn's answer. 
Co-managed collaborative care is increasingly being recognized as both improving patient outcomes and provider productivity. Patients benefit when the focus is on the patient and not territorial or ego-driven considerations. Collaborative care benefits the patient with improved access and allows the patient to benefit from the expertise of multiple providers on the care team. Despite the benefits of collaborative care initiatives, many in the ophthalmology community continue to oppose the co-management of post-operative surgical care by optometrists. After more than 35 years of successful co-management between optometrists and ophthalmologists, it is hard to understand why there is not a greater acceptance of this collaborative care model. Our third question. What is one thing every optometrist should know about either co-management and integrated care or just collaborative relationships with ophthalmology in general? Dr. Quinn's answer. Many ophthalmologists are excellent surgeons and also understand and respect optometrists. At the end of the day, both physician types, optometrists and ophthalmologists, must remain respectful of each other and patient-centered. Respect that comes naturally, a focus on high-quality patient care, and open communication are the keys to an excellent collaborative relationship. I would like to thank Dr. Quinn for his contribution to this article and all that he has done for the profession of optometry. In closing, regardless of the mode of practice, there are a few key concepts that are required to promote healthy collaboration. First, open communication between parties is key to promoting enhanced patient outcomes and patient experience. Second, building these relationships requires engaging with colleagues in ophthalmology. To do this, make an effort to connect and build a working relationship with different specialists. Attend continuing education meetings and social events with them. Third, optometrists should practice to the highest level that their scope allows, and when a condition is either out of their scope or comfort level, consult with a specialist they have built a working relationship with. It would be good to avoid blindly referring patients. I recommend referring to a specialist who is clinically proficient and supportive of optometry. Collaboration is going to be key to addressing the demands of the aging population. Personally, I believe that the tale of this relationship between optometry and ophthalmology is going to evolve to enable ophthalmologists to do what they are skilled at doing, surgery and managing complex cases, and optometrists to serve as the primary eye care for providers, managing the growing need for medical and post-operative care. Collaboration is going to be key to addressing the demands of the aging population. Personally, I believe that the tale of this relationship between optometry and ophthalmology is going to evolve to enable ophthalmologists to do what they are skilled at doing, surgery, and managing complex cases, and optometrists to serve as the primary eye care providers, managing the growing need for medical and post-operative care. What are your thoughts on collaboration between optometry and ophthalmology? Do you agree? Let's finish up with our final article on the virtues of emergency eye care by Patrick Vollmer of Vita Eye Clinic in Shelby, North Carolina. Dr. Vollmer says optometrists who provide the service will be warmly rewarded. Here he is to share his experience. Offering clinical eye care around the clock can be a tremendous asset for your patients and your practice. Never will your services be more desired than when an acute ocular emergency occurs after hours. With few emergency physicians available who truly understand how to treat eye disease, it's a good time to exploit this vital niche of medical eye care. In this article, I explain how I have done so. 
It's 6 p.m. on a Friday, and your clinic has been closed for one hour. The weekend has begun, and most doctors won't open their doors until Monday morning. One of your patients has developed an acute red eye and is in full-blown panic. Monday morning is forever away, and she needs your expert assistance now. How many eye care practitioners have developed a model allowing them to be easily accessed outside of routine business hours? Herein lies the opportunity for you, your patients, and your community. Let's start from the beginning. What is the best way for our patients to learn about the services we offer? By our telling them. Even if a patient is in your chair for a routine visit, it's still an opportunity to educate him or her on the myriad services you can provide. At the end of every examination, I tell my patients that if they ever have an eye emergency, such as an infection or injury, they should let me know first. I make sure that the patient understands that he or she can reach me easily after hours. If a patient calls my clinic after work, he or she is prompted to press one for an eye emergency. The call is then directed straight to my mobile phone and the patient can reach me virtually anywhere. I have thousands of patients and all of them know how to reach me. I have found that personally educating each patient individually has been a great avenue toward increasing my practice. Interestingly, 80% of my emergency calls are not from my regular patients. These patients also know about the services I provide, but how? This is accomplished through diligent networking. The medical community assumes that all medical eye care runs through ophthalmology. This mindset is taught in all healthcare programs, medical schools, physician assistant programs, nursing schools. Not many healthcare providers who encounter an acute eye emergency would think about referring the patient to an optometrist, but why not? Optometrists spend four years learning about how to treat ocular pathology, and many go on to compete competitive one-year residencies that are centered on cases often thought to be treatable only by ophthalmologists. If other physicians and healthcare providers understood the extraordinary knowledge that optometrists have about the eye, these cases would be funneled directly into our clinics. I have spent years visiting local hospitals, urgent care facilities, private practices, pediatric clinics, family practices, and any other place where a patient may end up with an eye emergency. I drop off business cards, coffee, donuts, gift cards, and whatever else I can to emphasize my message that I can deal directly with all non-surgical ocular diseases and emergencies. Although this message was received slowly at first, remember, other providers think that optometrists only prescribe contact lenses and glasses, the point has now been ingrained in my community. I have successfully treated hundreds of patients referred from my medical community. Months later, many of these same physicians who once gazed at me bewildered during my two minutes bill at their clinics are now my personal patients and their families are my personal patients because I take care of their patients. When you treat ocular disease in emergency cases, consider sending a one-page report to the patient's primary care physician or referring eye care provider. I like to state my diagnosis, the treatment plan, and plan of action for the patient, and I fax this report over on the same day as the patient's exam. 
This has been beneficial in showing referring providers the types of cases I can effectively treat. Patient retention is an equally important component of building a medical practice. This means not sending non-surgical cases to our surgical counterparts, like ophthalmology. Your growth and comfort in medical eye care will come only through experiencing times of discomfort and perhaps moments of uncertainty. These feelings can be muted over the course of your career, but only through your efforts. If you encounter a case in which your diagnosis is uncertain, simply schedule the patient to return for follow-up soon and make sure he or she can reach you immediately should the status change. Constantly referring complex cases out will not allow you to grow your medical practice, no matter how much networking you spend on your behalf. Just because a case looks complex doesn't mean you can't discern a straightforward diagnosis and treatment plan. I recently received a Facebook notification that a friend had mentioned me. I opened my app to see a picture of a young girl with swollen eyes. Her mother was in distress and had taken to social media for assistance. It was so satisfying to see dozens of people commenting on her feed, suggesting that she take her daughter to my clinic and telling her that I was available at all times. After more than three years spent in creating my medical brand, I'm not sure there are many people left in my small community who are unaware of the services I can provide in times of need. These networking processes take time, patience, understanding, and even some sleepless nights. Not only do our patients require all of these things, but they will also deserve them. If you offer, they will come. Well, that's all we have for you this episode. We hope you enjoyed what you heard and that you were able to take away a pearl or two for use in your own practice. Look for the next episode in June. We'll have articles from an all new issue. Don't forget, you can always read these and other articles at modernod.com, where you can also sign up for a free subscription to the magazine. And if you don't already, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Mod Optometry, on Facebook at Mod Optom, and on LinkedIn at Modern Optometry. Thanks for listening.